Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And this is a mini-sode. Mini! Yeah. Not a regular-sode. Brenna. <laughs> We've talked about this. <laughs> I don't want to have to send you back to the corner. <laughs> I'm just trying to make fetch happen, Joe. Oh, jeez. That's aces. <laughs> yeah, so we are going to do a little bit of a wrap-up. And listeners, if you want to peek behind the curtain, Brenna and I have been fighting about this for the last 15 minutes <laughs> because we had different understandings of what this episode was going to be. <laughs> and Joe won. <laughs> I won because I got to be like, hey, I'm editing this, so... <laughs> Bow to my will. It's true. Even if you hadn't won, you could have just edited it into the episode. You thought it would, but that would have been more work. So this is better. It's true. I would have just put funny sound effects every time we were speaking. <laughs> I think the listeners would enjoy that, to be honest. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. So yeah, so we're, we're going to do a best of both worlds. So initially, I had it in my mind that this episode was going to be us looking back and taking stock of the year that was. Mm -hmm. And you... I think correctly, and I had just forgotten, you believe that we were going to do a bit of catch up on some of the homework readings that we had done, and then yes. we both were of the understanding that we would talk at least about one new story from the year of YA literature and television. Yes. And I will say that I recognize that the homework task was kind of hard because we've been saying for the last, I don't know, three months that we never have time to finish the homework books because of the pace of recording. So mm -hmm. I definitely had a struggle with that. I looked at my stack of half finished, really good YA books that hopefully I will finish over Christmas. But I'm yes. going to talk a little bit about some homework. And I think you're going to talk about some things you maybe slept on a little bit that you're hoping to have time to check out in the new year. Right? Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. Or or that completely fell off my radar and was like, oh, right. Yes, I should put that back onto my list of things to check out because I'd heard good things about them. Right. Yeah. Okay. Where do you want to start? Do you want to begin with some things that you have made progress on? homework wise? Sure. Yeah. Maybe I'll share um, a couple of things. So the first one is uh, that I finished reading There's Something About Sweetie by Santaya Manon. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So cute. So that was the um, YA romance sort of rom-com about the athletic girl and the, well, she's a track star and he's a basketball player and his parents are setting them up because he's had, he's been unlucky in love and he's going to take their advice and try like an arranged relationship. They're all uh, Indian American. Mm -hmm. And um, the interesting component maybe that we haven't seen a lot of in YA is that the protagonist is fat and right. it's she's the star of this rom-com and what she's struggling against is the fact that her mom doesn't think that she should date this hot basketball player because uh, she thinks that she should wait to sort of start her life until she loses weight. I remember this. And one of the reasons that you were really enjoying it was because the main character herself was not having issues with it. Her mm -hmm. issue was with her mom. Yes, her mom and some of her mom's friends. Um, and this idea that like, she had done all this work on herself. She's got a sort of mentor older cousin who helps her to feel good about herself. And every time she has a conversation with her mom, she gets kind of knocked back emotionally. The book is really sweet. It's a rom-com, so it has a kind of, you know, formulaic happy ending, but it's entirely mm -hmm. satisfying. Oh, good. Very sweet and funny. And 
still feels really honest for the characters. It's not like they are going to be together forever and ever at the end, but there's a really sweet sense of understanding of each other and the mom comes to some good realizations. It's definitely a worthwhile read and it's especially a good holiday read. Not that it's set at Christmas, it's set in the summer, but it's just one of those happy, uplifting books that is really pleasant to read over make you feel good right yeah yeah nice yeah highly recommend okay do you have another one i do so um when i was talking about getting back into comics earlier in the fall uh, or late summer i guess i um teased the fact that unbeatable squirrel girl will be coming to an end right so the final issue is now out. It was out ooh, a couple weeks ago. You could probably still find it at comic shops if you were looking. Uh, it's issue 50. And I will say it's a fitting end to the character. Not like an end to the character, but it's a fitting end to the character's run. It's got all the comedy and heart of the series as a whole. I'm super sad to see it go. Right. But I will say that now that it's finished, those of you who haven't read Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, you should probably check it out. I think there's about nine trade paperback collections out with a tenth on the way so it's a good time to start putting those on your library hold list and check it out if you haven't and another reason i wanted to mention it now is that unbeatable squirrel girl is such a good gift for the tween girl in your life mm-hmm. especially if she's someone who really likes superheroes but doesn't feel like she is represented in the world of superheroes unbeatable squirrel girl is a college student not a tween but there's uh, something very accessible about her as a as a young woman hero very much so. Yeah. yeah, so I strongly recommend it. And while I'm on the topic of comics, another comic that I teased was Steeple, which is uh, written by John Allison, who made Giant Days. Right. So that was the kind of battling vicars in a small town story I was telling mm-hmm. you about. It's exactly as cute and fun as it sounds. Okay. Yeah, I've been keeping up with it and really, really enjoying it. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring that one up is because I have some exciting news for you, Joe. What's that? The Giant Days team is reuniting for a new series starting in March. Ooh. Do you know what the premise is? I do. It's called Wicked Things, and it's actually a return to one of the characters from the Scary Go Round comics. or Yeah, from Scary Go Round. So it's Lottie, Charlotte, from that series. But now she's an adult, and she's solving mysteries. But I mean, <laughs> okay. adult mysteries. And so right. um, I just want to read you uh, what John Allison says about it. He says, so this is a character who originated in Al- in uh, John Allison's Scary Go Round webcomic and then was a character in the Bad Machinery series. I don't know either of them. Oh don't Oh my god, you would love Bad Machinery. It's just giant days with littler kids. It's really Oh good. wait, I think you have mentioned it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's coming back to me. So he says, arguably, Lottie hasn't changed at all. She hasn't had to change. She's incredibly robust and has bowled her way through all situations with the ultimate confidence of someone who is right more often than they're wrong. But she stayed in her comfort zone of teen mystery solving and not engaged with the painful rituals of growing up that she might have had to negotiate. And he goes on to say, if Giant Days is a comic about the mainstream path to adulthood, Wicked Things is a story about that path being cut off suddenly by events and how Lottie deals with that. Giant Days was bright and colorful and all about friendship. This one isn't a sitcom. It's still fun. It still takes place in that world and with those rules, but it's not as safe or cozy and the guardrails aren't there. Hmm. <laughs> I know you like the guardrails. I love Days. this. That's one of the things that attracts me so strongly to Giant Days is the fact that it's like a warm hug or yeah. a cup of tea or something. It just makes me feel so, I don't know, safe. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it is. And I, it is really cozy. I trust John Allison. And, you know, Steeple right. is like, Steeple is an adventure comic, but it still feels 
like a cup of tea. So I'm going to subscribe to it. I'll let okay. you know how I get on with it later. And I know we're supposed to be looking back, not looking forward, but <laughs> I you wanted suck at this. I wanted to mention that Steeple is really good and people should get on top of it. And then when right. I was reading up about Steeple, I found out about this new series. I didn't want to sit on it, Joe. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Well, you'll you'll have to jog everyone's collective memory come March because I, I that will. is just an eternity away. It is an eternity away. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Okay. How about you? You want to look back on some stuff now? Yeah. So <laughs> I. Wow. Great cue. <laughs> Your transition work. We're gonna have to do a little bit of that. Yeah. So I (laughs) went back through my list. Having two different podcasts means that I don't have quite as much time to just watch stuff that I may be casually interested in. So unfortunately, I didn't spend a lot of time doing things outside of the two respective podcasts this year. So how dare I know, right? (laughs) I feel like I've actually consumed less media than ever before this year. Because I've only consumed media that was either horror movies or young adults. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately, we talk about all of those on each of the respective podcasts, so I feel like I have very little new to say. I definitely get that. I'm going to bring up something that I think I addressed in passing very briefly, which is just that if people haven't had the opportunity to check out the film Booksmart by actress Olivia Wilde, it's her directorial debut. And it's just a really great female friendship movie. It's two girls who are straight-laced. They've been doing everything they can to get into college, which often means not having a lot of fun, not (laughs) having a lot of adventures or experiences. And they realize at the end of their high school experience that everyone who partied and had a great time and was just dumb and young... They all got into really great colleges (laughs) as well. And these two girls are like, well okay let's have our one night of adventure so it's one of those great films that takes place all in one night they go to a bunch of different parties they have a bunch of different experiences there's some sexual awakening but really at the heart of it this is a film for the outsiders the outcasts the nerdish brenna and i don't know what you're talking about they just have a really great time. The two lead actresses are amazing. They're super talented. The film is just vibrant and full of energy, and it does exactly what you expect it to be, and that's absolutely perfectly fine. It's just a very enjoyable film. It didn't do great box office, so I'm not sure if a lot of people slept on it or they just thought it wasn't for them. But if you are interested in YA movies, you should definitely be checking out Booksmart. I am definitely one of those people who worked themselves to death in high school and then did like a quick stumble at the beginning of university and ended up going to university without anybody ever looking at my transcripts because I went as a special student. So um, yeah, so I relate deeply to the premise and I am definitely going to watch it. (laughs) You should. I think you would really enjoy it because Mm -hmm. it's doing all the right things and it's doing it in a smart, almost self-aware fashion. Cool. Yeah, I will yeah. check it out. I've heard nothing but good things from people whose views on this sort of thing I respect. So mm. I'm definitely going to check it out. Cool. All right. So let's transition to the year that was, Brenna. Uh, you've talked a little bit about your homework catch-up, but mm-hmm. why don't we talk a little bit about the podcast specifically? I challenged each of us to come up with our favorite fun episode of the year and then a favorite serious episode and then one that we didn't care for quite as much. 
Yes, and you picked all my favorites because you went first again. <laughs> you got to get in there first, man. <laughs> Deeply resentful. Uh, so why don't you start us off, Joe? What was your favorite fun episode this year? Okay, so by fun, I took this to mean that it would be a fun episode to listen to, not necessarily that the book or the process of recording the episode was fun. So I selected <laughs> fan favorite, The Kissing Booth, as drunk. my fun You're drunk. episode. <laughs> You're drunk, Joe, go home. <laughs> this was probably the first episode that we recorded where we got a lot of feedback that said people like it when you get angry. And <laughs> People said that it was just a real joy to listen to because we ripped that entire book apart. <laughs> Glad our misery was so delightful for everyone. <laughs> well, somebody should get some benefit out of <laughs> that true. entire process. If I saved one person from reading that book, that episode was worthwhile. <laughs> there we go. And yeah. I'll never be able to get a job at Wattpad despite trying every couple of months as a result of that episode. <laughs> That's fine. They suck. <laughs> No, I think they're really not good at a certain type of book. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay, so what was your favorite fun episode, Brenna? I found this hard because I've had so many pleasant episodes with you this year, but I think that my favorite episode, both in terms of the reading and the watching and the recording, was mm -hmm. Love, Simon. Aww. Slash Simon and the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli. Right. So there is still one outstanding thing that makes me mad about that movie adaptation, which is, okay. of course, where's my fat Leah? Right. Just want a fat Leah. Why can't I have it? Mm -hmm. But everything else about that series was pretty letter perfect. Or sorry, everything else about that sh movie was pretty letter perfect. And the book itself is just such a joy. Like it's just such yes. a joyful, happy representation of queer young adulthood. And it has lots of problems, right? We talked about the whiteness of the book. We talked mm -hmm. about a whole bunch of issues. And I think we, we did a good job of framing those issues in that episode while still recognizing that, like, it's really fun and it's nice for queer kids to get to be the heroes of their own stories and have those stories be fun stories. So I enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed watching it. I am looking forward to the TV version. Sorry, mm -hmm. I looked ahead again. Um, and <laughs> I just think it was a really, I don't know, it was a positive, heartwarming episode. It didn't make me mad. It was just really nice. Right. Yeah, that was one of two episodes that I've cried on this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but good tears. Yeah. No, yeah. emotional. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And I think, um, I don't know, there's just something so hopeful about it. And if you were looking for something uplifting, you could do worse. Right. <laughs> okay, so my favorite serious episode, and this is either a book that was more serious or just that the topic ended up lending itself to serious discussion. Mm -hmm. And I ended up with a tie because... I actually feel like we've had a lot of important, in quotation mark, episodes. Mm -hmm. So I ended up highlighting The Hate You Give, because I felt like it was one of, like, it's not even that early an episode, but it's one where I felt like we really cracked the code on how to talk about our enjoyment of a book or a film, as well as the broader social implications or the deeper meaning. Like, yeah. it felt like a really good, legitimately critical look at the power of young adult literature and film yeah I thought that was a good episode too and I really appreciated you were quite open and vulnerable about your own sort of journey around social justice issues and I felt like that was a really valuable component that a lot of listeners seem to connect with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and then my second choice for the serious episode was... Which would have been my pick if you hadn't stolen it. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm sorry. (laughs) I selected The Lesser Blessed. And part of the reason I wanted to highlight this, and I feel like we've highlighted this a couple times, is because it is a lesser-known book. So it's a Canadian Indigenous book. It takes place in the North. And I just keep bringing it up because I, again, thought the conversation was really, really good. You dazzled me with your knowledge. And I just really want to make sure that people know that that book in particular exists. The film Mm -hmm. is also really good. But to me, the strength of that combo was definitely in the book. And you know, thank you, Joe, by the way. But also, you know, we have a lot of listeners who teach high school from the comments that we get on the Twitters. And mm-hmm. like, this is a really good book to teach. This is an uh, eminently yeah. teachable book. Um, a way to get an own voices story into your classroom. I guarantee you that your students, unless you teach in pretty special circumstances, don't read a lot, if any, Indigenous literature. Right. And don't see a lot, if any, Indigenous faces on the screen of their media. So I really recommend that those of you who are in a position to get books and films into the hands of young people, take another look at The Lesser Blessed if we haven't yet. Yes. It's a great conversation starter. Yeah, it is. It really is. Okay. So what did you pick for Sirius? Um, I sort of struggled with this one once The Lesser Blessed was gone. <laughs> okay. I mean, you could have said. <laughs> I know, but I knew you were going to talk about it, and then I was going to talk about it, and then I have nothing to talk about. So I picked The Virgin Suicides okay, because I think we did a really good job of talking about how gender functions. And I also think that that episode is a really good, if we get anywhere near the definition of young adult literature on this show, we do Mm -hmm. it in that episode. Yes. Mostly because The Virgin Suicides, the book is not. And we talk about why that's the case um, and how focalization has so much to do with Focalization and perspective have so much to do with whether something is YA or not. You shocked me with that. <laughs> My biggest jaw drop of the entire year is when you pulled that out. And I thought, how did it take us so long to get here? <laughs> <laughs> and then my second pick for a serious episode, it sounds silly as a serious episode, but The Giver. Mm, I think the way we rag on the film makes it a bit more fun. But I think your discussion about the arc of the four books, like it was a good, challenging, very emotionally honest episode for you. Yeah, I think it was too. And I also think I sort of wish that we had come to. So in Howl's Moving Castle, we had that conversation about grief and like mourning a bad adaptation. Mm. And I kind of wish we had had that language to describe what we were experiencing with The Giver. Right. Because I think that's really what we were experiencing. Yeah. But with Howl's Moving Castle, we were talking about like you want to you have to grieve the adaptation to like appreciate the actual film that exists. Yeah, because it's not a bad movie. Yeah. Whereas The movie adaptation of the giver is just like a piece of poo it's just very bad (laughs) but when a book is so important to you or has served such an important position in your life as i feel like the giver has for me and for lots of people i think that that's a particularly that idea of mourning is particularly salient so Mm -hmm. i liked that discussion particularly yeah you're right particularly the book but we talk a lot about like parenthood and Mm -hmm. you know choices and what does it mean to end a novel ambiguously? Like there's some big talk in that episode that I really appreciated. Yes. Yeah, it's true. Okay. So uh, in every arc or every journey, there's often (laughs) a less successful entry. And 
I don't think that there's any bad episodes of the podcast per se, but I do think that if you go back and listen to our episode on Ghost World, unfortunately, and one thing I need to clarify is that I feel like I really owe an apology to C.C. Stapleton, our guest on that episode, because it was not her first choice. I thought she was going to be a really good fit, and she was great at the conversation, but we gave her nothing to work with. And I feel like that episode is just us going, Ugh, this is just not good. So yeah. at yeah. the end of the day, I just, I regret even programming that particular combination I thought it was going to be a lot more interesting and unfortunately I just think the source material let us down in a really bad way and unfortunately not in a fun way so Cece if you're listening I apologize love to have you come back on something that you are actually going to have a great experience with us on <laughs> yeah I agree with that I because I, th I think Cece was a great guest and I think yeah. some of the conversations we found in that book were good but I think I think you're also channeling a fair amount of disappointment Joe like I think you thought you were gonna really like Ghost World and then you yes. didn't and yeah. that's always bad mm -hmm. yeah yeah I was also disappointed by that one just I don't I don't need men's perspectives on teenage girls I just don't or yeah just do better <laughs> if you really feel like you need to tell that story like have something more to say don't make it about you yeah yeah, yeah. definitely and then uh, I'm looking at your least favorite, and I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> so my least favorite listeners, I know you're all going to be shocked when I tell you that my least favorite book and, frankly, episode of the year was after. Here's why. I know <laughs> y'all listened to it, and you were like, this is hilarious. Brenna's real, real mad. But I really need to underscore for you that that book was like 900 pages long, and so Joe long. didn't finish it, and the movie was egregious, and it was just a miserable experience from beginning to end i would do the kissing booth twice before i did after again Oof. yeah that is no small feat no <laughs> <laughs> i would honestly put them on par with each other i think the both the after episode and the kissing booth episodes are enjoyable to listen to but yeah neither book nor film in either of those options like you're just asking to be disappointed in those and you know I jokingly come down hard on Wattpad a lot, but I honestly, like, I am at the point as a reader, not as a podcast host or somebody who talks about kids lit publicly, but just as a person who reads, I am at the point where I, I will not pick up a Wattpad book that hasn't been handled by an editor I respect. Because right. in every single case, what we see is a lack of editorial restraint. And... Yep. I get that they don't have to. I get that these things will sell a bazillion copies, whether mm -hmm. they get edited or not. But from the perspective of the reader, it is just a miserable slog. It's a terrible experience. Yeah. What I would like to see is some other subgenre of YA get adapted so that we could actually see if this is just something. Because we've looked at two texts that are primarily romance-centric. And I would like to see if they take a firmer hand in a genre that is not just going to sell a bajillion copies without having to do the proper amount of work. Yeah. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe this is just the business model that Wattpad has stumbled onto and they're finding it works for them. But the two examples that we've seen have come from the same subgenre and yeah. both have been, frankly, deplorable examples of young adult literature and then also make for terrible films. Yeah. 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 
it's just it feels like such a cash grab to be engaging with these texts it's like nobody cared enough to edit it properly nobody cared enough to really think through the screenplay Mm -hmm. but please give us your twenty dollars exactly and i'm just there is so much good content out there desperate to be adapted to reach a broader audience and Mm -hmm. we just keep seeing this garbage emerge over and over again yeah, well, let's let's make a pact then. We will not do more Wattpad YA romances in the future. Oh, Joe, that's all I've ever wanted you to say. <laughs> My holiday gift to you, Brenna. Twenty twenty is going to be bright. <laughs> it is honestly. I just, I literally just felt a little hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, should we transition into a big news item that we each wanted to address? Yeah, so what we've done here is we've each picked one news item that we think is important to the year that was. However, we've mm-hmm. decided to frame that for ourselves. Right. Do you want to start, Joe, or do you want me to start? Uh, either or. Okay, well, I'm going to start then. Okay. Um, because I, I feel like I need to justify my choice of a news item of the year because it's a very recent news item of the year. It came out uh, last week or the week before. You got to date this. It's back at the beginning of December. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think it's important. This story to me is emblematic of the changing face of YA, I hope for the better. Okay. And that is that HarperCollins, um, and particularly HarperCollins Children's Book Division, has announced the debut of a new imprint. They're calling it Heart Drum. And it's an imprint devoted to publishing books by Indigenous creators that introduce young Indigenous protagonists and showcase the present and future of Indigenous peoples in North America. Mm. What I like especially about this is that Cynthia Letich smith who's a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation and who uh, listeners will remember from when we talked about one of her books earlier in the year, um, she is actually going to be the editorial helm of this project. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's really exciting. The roster looks amazing. She's going to be working with uh, one of the top editors at HarperCollins in terms of like shepherding texts through to publication. Hmm. They're going to be going and looking for Indigenous writers who have not currently been published. Okay. So it's a little bit outreach, a little bit we need diverse books. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit just exciting to see a new voice entering publishing in a big way. Right. This is an imprint, but HarperCollins as a publisher, it's like that's potentially game changing. This is one of the bigs. Yes. And they have money to put behind this and they're committed to putting money behind this. This is just a huge deal. So every year we see various organizations work out the numbers of what children and young people see represented in their books. And I have never seen that list with greater than 1% of all books published involving Indigenous creators or protagonists. Right. So this, the idea that HarperCollins is behind it, that they want to spend some money on it, that they really want to push both in terms of discovery and in terms of editorial promise, I think, I just think this is huge news. So you can keep an eye on it. The first titles are scheduled to roll over the course of not until 2021 because they're going to spend 2020 acquiring. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Physical publishing, it takes a long time. It takes a long time, right? Because they're actually going to be shepherding books through the editorial process. Wattpad. (laughs) (laughs) But it's called Heart Drum. And uh, keep an eye on it because I think it's going to be a big game changer in YA. Awesome. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, that actually feeds nicely into my news story for the year. And Brenna, I'm probably going to need your help to unpack some of this. It might actually be a longer conversation than what we can afford it right now. But sure. I'm going back to April. It's a story that I discovered on Refinery29. And it's basically challenging some of the issues about the rise of own voices books and its linkages to cancel culture, which is kind of a big idea that has emerged in the last year or so where in my world in film twitter like film and television it often gets applied to comedians or actors or people like harvey weinstein who have been canceled like they've been removed from their positions over sexual assault allegations but in this context what we're talking about is a lot of cancel culture around people who are publishing in YA, but they're not doing own voices stories. And as a result, people are saying, no, you need to walk the publishing of this book back, or you're not allowed to tell that story. We need people who are telling it authentically. And this all sounds great, right? Like you just literally talked about an imprint that is an own voices imprint, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So In general, own voices is perceived as a really good thing, but unfortunately what this story from Refinery29 is highlighting is that it's actually being wielded as a kind of weapon primarily by white publishers and editors and other powerful individuals to restrict the opportunities of people who can tell stories. So it's like all of a sudden this person isn't diverse enough to tell this story and Mm -hmm. they get sent back to the drawing board to say you can't set a story here because you weren't alive in Mongolia in the 17th century or something like that. So On one hand, it's suggesting that there's so much opportunity to highlight underrepresented voices with the own voices movement, but then it's also contrasting that by saying, oh, it's also being taken too far and excluding people and challenging the definitions of who can tell what story and how creative people can be. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really fascinating idea Mm -hmm. just because you and I have had a number of discussions about the authenticity of certain authors to tell particular stories and how good that can be and you know angie thomas's the hate you give is a great example of that mm-hmm. but at the same time if it if it ends up being used as a weapon to silence people then at what point does the culture become mm, at what point do we start to silence people so i think there's a great point uh at the core of of this article right this idea that as long as publishing remains in the hands of powerful white people, powerful white people are going to be gatekeeping which diverse stories get told. And I think that that's one of the reasons why the new imprint at HarperCollins is such a big deal is because it's saying like, what if we gave enough power in publishing to indigenous creators to help find another generation of indigenous creators, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's actually changing the, the power structure there in a way that is important. Yeah, it's not some white person saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find indigenous stories because then all of a sudden you're still gatekeeping because if you aren't finding all of those different authors and you're not finding that plethora of stories, if you're only looking for a particular subset, which I think is part of what the story has come out is that it's like, it's not just, oh, you're not black enough to tell the story or you're not queer enough to tell the story or you're not indigenous enough. It's like, we also only want trauma stories from Mm -hmm. trans narratives and we talked about that when we did our interview with kai chen tom yes there's been so many limitations put on 
different types of stories and who can tell them, but also we only want this slim little narrative. And if you try to tell a story from outside of that, which could be hopeful, which could be impactful, you get shut down. And that's not helpful. I agree. I agree with that component of it. Kat Rosenfield is the author of that article. And she's... (laughs) Do we need to put her into context as well? Just a little bit. Only in that I... I don't follow her on Twitter, and she only seems to come across my feed, considering she writes YA and and talks about YA, she only seems to come across my feed when she's saying like, yeah, but what if that's unfair to existing authors, right? Right. She, for example, and I just drew up her timeline and I'm looking at stuff, and like, she's got a tweet where she says, I feel bad for young people who have to live in a world where it's considered weird or rude to ask someone a date in real life because of consent boundaries, etc. You know, like... She's really good at a hot take. So <laughs> while I think... And maybe introducing her own bias at the same time. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, I mean, she's a writer of YA uh, zombie fiction primarily. Okay. So she may be an author we come across in another context on this show. But she's definitely, she's just very concerned about like, quote unquote, PC culture and stuff. So I, mm-hmm. when I first saw the article and I started to read it, I was like, <gasps> like with a grain of salt. But I, so yep. I, and I think at the core of what she's saying, there is a lot to be said, as I said, or off the top about these ideas of power dynamics and how they function and who is making the choice about what is quote unquote diverse enough. And until those decisions are actually being made by people with a diversity of experience, mm-hmm. we risk silencing folks on the other hand like ghost world is a really good example of of a bad own voice like a bad non-own voices text right right? like Mm -hmm. everything about that book felt like the person who wrote it had never had a conversation with a teenage girl before you know (laughs) and i think that it's okay for us as a culture to say you have a bigger responsibility when you're writing about an experience that is not your own to do your work. And flip side of that is until I can read my fill of, say, trans narratives of all different kinds, right. then maybe I don't need to read a cis person's trans story. Like maybe I just don't, maybe it's okay for me to decide as a reader that I can only read so many books in a lifetime and I'm not going to read that one. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes we conflate quote unquote cancel culture with just like making choices for ourselves. And some of that is just because social media is so loud. This is true. Yeah. And one of the things that I appreciated about coming across this article mm. is how important it is to be aware of multiple competing arguments. Because mm-hmm. not only mm-hmm. have you identified that the author of this may have her own agenda or her own bias. This article is trying to make a bunch of different kinds of arguments or it's having Mm -hmm. a bit of a debate. And I think it's really important to be able to read between the lines a little bit and also to really take that step back. Yeah, The article itself is a bit of a hot take. And I think it encourages people to say, be mindful of what you're reading and understand the full context of it. Because I looked at this and I thought, okay, you know what, I'm interested in this conversation, not the article itself. Mm -hmm. Because even as I was reading it, yeah, there's very much this whiff of, "Mm, but aren't we taking it too far? (laughs) Aren't we hurting 
yeah bracket white authors and yeah. i was like mm, i don't know about this but i appreciated the idea that there was a danger of limiting creativity in different types of authors and that's where yes. it really resonated for me was this idea that yeah you know what we've had multiple conversations about how there is predominantly one trans narrative and that is the one that inflicts trauma mm -hmm. on the very audience that it claims to be representing Absolutely. and you know we ourselves got into trouble with that earlier that was one of I think our biggest learning lessons earlier this year was how important it is to properly frame a discussion Agreed. about some of these really important topics. Agreed. So we'll link to this article, but yeah, it's very much like grain of salt. Appreciate that this is coming from a potentially biased or... Um... <laughs> She clearly has an agenda. <laughs> yeah, and you know, there's like a sort of dominant conversation right now. And dominant is hard, right? Because it's dominant on Twitter to say like own voices are important. But like go into chapters or mm -hmm. Barnes and Noble and stand in the YA section and tell me that you see predominantly own voices stories. Because right. I yeah. think the majority of quote unquote own voices stories that are still being published are white people writing about white people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sure. So Things can sound dominant because we are up to date on the Twitter discourse, and that doesn't accurately reflect what's happening in the real world. And I will share uh, something that friend of the show, Hannah McGregor, tweeted me or texted me yesterday, apropos not of this conversation, but very fitting. She mm -hmm. was talking about something else, and she was like, but in the end, isn't the bravest stance the one that upholds the status quo. <laughs> and that's often what these pieces oh. feel like. They're like, right? They're like, well, I read nine people on Twitter telling me that I had to like own voices stories. So here's my brave take against it. And yeah. um, I do think, I think that conversation about power and who is making the decisions around what is quote unquote diverse enough, those are important conversations to have. Yes, I'm guessing that my resolution to that problem and this author's resolution to that problem would not be the same resolution. No, <laughs> which is why you chose to highlight an imprint that will literally have an impact on that. Whereas I gather that Kat Rosenfield might just be looking at her bottom line and book sales. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking kind of maybe, yes. Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh, with that said, is there anything else that you would like to do in our year look back? I want to thank our wonderful listeners, Joe. Mm -hmm. for tuning in and recommending us to folks and engaging with us on Twitter and on email. It really, I don't know, when we started this thing, I kind of figured nine people would listen. <laughs> and we would know eight of them. <laughs> yeah. So it's amazing. The reach the show has had, I'm really grateful for. I'm grateful for Oh Witch Please for giving us a big shout out when we launched, which I think helped us really find our earliest audience. I think so. And I'm grateful to you, Joe. This has been such a fun project. I enjoy it thoroughly. And I really, I joke about this all the time on the show. I can't say explicitly enough for our listeners how much I do 10% of the work that goes into actually <laughs> making this show happen. And so I'm really grateful to have Joe as a partner slash person who does Workhorse. literally all the work. <laughs> because I really enjoy getting to just like... I have missed teaching and this show has really filled a huge void for me around just chatting about books with people who like books and mm -hmm. yeah so I'm super grateful for you for coming up with the idea and for doing all the work and for giving me this awesome outlet and to our listeners for actually wanting to listen. Yeah. Just the end of the year I'm feeling very very grateful. Nice. Yeah. 
Well, I will echo that sentiment because obviously I could not do this without you. And while I may do a lot of the back end work, I often feel like you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the air. So sometimes I just get to sit back and listen to you and I feel like I'm literally getting smarter just by benefit (laughs) of getting to engage with you. But yes, obviously, listeners, we love you as well. We're hoping that you're still sending in some topics for minisodes. So this is a bit representative of what some of the minisodes will be like. It'll be a little bit more specific and focused. But uh, I'm excited about the way that the podcast is going to evolve in Mm -hmm. 2020. Mm -hmm. Now, this is one of the last episodes of the year slash first episodes of the new year. We're releasing it on the same day as our binge-worthy mini-sode. So Mm -hmm. if you've got some free time over the holidays, be sure to check out some of our recommendations and also to hear what we're thinking we're going to catch up on. (laughs) Tune in (laughs) in the new year to find out whether or not that actually happened. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it doesn't, I bet. Just guessing. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, you and I are always wildly ambitious, so I'm sure (laughs) we will bite off more than we can chew and then try to make a concerted effort to at least get one thing done. Yes, yes. (laughs) I have faith in us. Um, So listeners, if you want to share what you're binging over the holidays or um, what has found its way into your sort of memory bank about this past year, uh, you can find us on the Twitters at hashtag HKHSpod. That gets both of us. Mm -hmm. Joe, if they just want to talk to you, how do they find you? You can find me at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A. And um, in the new year, uh, you're going to be hearing an episode of some forecasting of what to look for, what to put on your holds list now for January. Mm. And should we tell them what the first book back is, Joe, in case they want to get started reading it? Absolutely. Okay, so the first book, the first regular sode. <sighs> of 2020 is going to be uh, my favorite and soon to be yours Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery Mm -hmm. and we're timing that to appeal to the sad mean folks at Netflix and CBC Mm -hmm. Uh, so folks in the US specifically you'll be getting the final season of Anne with an E debuting so we're going to be checking out a few I guess a few episodes of the show and then I'm assuming Brenna you'll also be filling us in on the other adaptations as well not all of them, because I think There's I mentioned this before. Million. There's been a million <laughs> since 1908, but I'll talk about a few. <laughs> yeah. Well, I assume you'll be raising Megan Fellows up at some point. Yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. The ultimate Gilbert Blythe in that adaptation, my friend. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so things for people to look forward to in 2020. So have a wonderful holiday season. Whatever you're celebrating, I hope that it's great. If this is not a good season for you, then I hope you are cuddled up under a really cozy weighted blanket with your Netflix watching some amazing escapist YA. And until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.